Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of Technology Innovation, a maintenance disrupted podcast series. I'm curious, have you ever wondered if there's a unique signature, a very unique pattern that is happening in your rotating equipment's electrical signal? Well, if you're anything like me, I sure have. And that's why I brought on Simon Yeher, founder and technology evangelist at Semiotic Labs. Semiotic Labs is using motor current analysis and voltage signals combined with AI to detect and uncover those unique failure signatures in your rotating equipment. It's not too often you get to meet someone as passionate about technology uh, as you are. And in this case, when I connected with Simon, it was an instant connection in terms of technology. In this, in this podcast, we talk about, obviously, semiotic labs, what they're doing, but we also dive into what's happening in industry trends and things like that. So if you've been curious about using motor current analysis or voltage signals to be able to detect impending failure, this is a must-listen podcast for you. But before we get to the podcast, here's a quick note from our sponsor. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, Star West Petroleum. Having personally worked with StarWest, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our costs and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top tier distributor of Phillips 66 lubricants, Kendall Performance Motor Oils, Phillips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetics, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel, heating and furnace oil, but really, it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment. Now, here's your episode. So Simon, Simon, uh, I'm going to try to say your last name. So Simon Yahers, did I get that right? That's correct. Not good. Um, yes. it, and I'll, I'll give the listeners a quick, a quick uh, overview of how I come across uh, you, Simon, in particular, as a technology evangelist, evangelist as well as Semiotic Labs. So um, as the listeners know, I'm, I'm always curious when it comes to technology and specifically technology that's, you know, it's not an enhancement on existing technology. Well, I guess yours kind of is, but um, really something that's outside of what is normal in terms of, you know, maintenance and reliability. And I've always wondered to myself, you know, obviously I'm in the ultrasound space, which has been around for a long time. Vibration has been around for a long time, but I was kind of looking out there to see what's next in terms of the evolution of condition monitoring. And I came across semiotic labs. I came across from a few customers I was working with that mentioned this technology, as well as just scouring the internet for new technology. And I, and I came across, um, the, your company that you founded. And I said, wow, this is someone that's doing something very, very interesting. I wanted to learn more. So through that, reached out to, to Simon and we've had a discussion and Simon agreed to be on the show. 
So Simon, again, thanks, thanks again for being on the show. Um, can you just give us a brief overview of what um, Semiotic Labs is and what you guys do? Absolutely. So at Semiotic Labs, we provide a condition monitoring service really for uh, AC motors and rotating equipment that is based on electric signal analysis or MCSA plus voltage, if you will. So what we do is we install sensors inside the motor control cabinet where they measure current and voltage around the clock. And that data is then sent to our platform where both algorithms and ex experts analyze the data. And then when we detect a failure in the drivetrain, uh, so that would be the, the variable speed drive, the motor, the coupling or the pump conveyor and so on, we will reach out to our clients uh, and, and we'll update our online dashboard. So in that sense, it is a, a condition monitoring solution that really aims to help our clients to reduce unplanned downtime, increase throughput, well, you name it. Right. And I think the, the key thing there for our, our listeners is, so, you know, when I, when I look at it from a high level is you're taking, you know, traditionally what we call that motor current signature analysis, uh, which you refer to as, as ESA, the electrical signal analysis. Um, so you're taking the, the essentially the current signal, the voltage signal, and you're doing artificial intelligence on top of that to, to be able to detect what uh, I think you guys say is 90% um, of failures, right? Up to five months in advance. So you're not, you're not using traditional, and you obviously know which technology I'm talking about when I say traditional condition monitoring technologies, you're looking at the, the electrical signal of that rotating piece of equipment to look for anomalies. That's a fair statement, yes, yes. And what, what, is, what is hidden? Why is, it, why is it an advantage to look at the electrical signal? What is hidden in those, signal, uh, those signatures that we have been often, often just overlooking? Most of us are familiar with motor current signal analysis, but we look at it as a um, a one-time use tool you would put on there traditionally after a motor repair or things like that. You know, maybe when you're maggering it to test the coils or something like that, you might uh, you might do some testing. So, what what's in those signatures that we're, we've traditionally been missing in terms of the health of our rotating pieces of equipment? Well, well, first of all, uh, Blair, I'd, I'd like to think of this as a toolbox, right? So when you look at, if you're a maintenance engineer, you have this sort of toolbox of solutions that will help you to monitor your asset. And depending on the situation, you will use vibration, you will use ultrasound, you can use oil analysis, and now you can use electric signal analysis as well. And I think in some situations, this is especially useful. Um, as you mentioned, uh, first of all, you install inside the motor control cabinet. So you can imagine that for things like submerged pumps, uh, the radar pumps, uh, but also in very hot, very cold environments or inaccessible assets, the fact that you install inside the motor control cabinet and not on the asset itself is very useful. Now, with electrical signal analysis, you can detect both electrical failures or failures that are electrical in nature. Uh, so that typically do not manifest as vibrations or in any other shape that you can easily detect with vibration sensors and also mechanical failures across the drivetrain. Now for that, for that um, uh, uh, so that combination in, in some cases is quite powerful, both electrical and mechanical failures. 
And I think, um, you know, if you measure electrical signals, it doesn't take a lot of imagination that you can detect electrical failures because they're uh, reflected quite directly in these patterns. Right. But for, for mechanical failures, there's a couple of things we have to do first. So the, 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 uh, the um, mechanical failures that lead to either torsional or lateral vibrations will be reflected in that waveform through the fact that those vibrations will be markedly different from when your acid is operating in a healthy mode. And because let's assume you have a pump that is that starts to cavitate or a piece of the impeller breaks off, then that pump will start to vibrate again in the, in the different manner. And that vibration will sort of travel from the axle of the pump through the coupling to the axle of the motor. Now at the motor, that vibration will disturb the magnetic field or the air gap that sits between the static part and the rotating part of the motor. And when you disturb that magnetic field, it leads to wrinkles on your sine wave. So we, we use that mechanism. We, we measure those wrinkles with a very, very, um, um, you know, a very high frequency and a very high resolution. So we get a very clear picture of it. And we can then analyze it using machine learning technologies or AI technologies, if you will. Right. And I think that's very interesting. There's two key points there. So the first one was, you know, you're not installing sensors on the physical asset itself. Obviously, rotating equipment, AC motors, you, it has to have power to it, right? So it's coming traditionally, um, you know, you think about it in those hot, dangerous areas, right? Um, that typically, and we've seen this, that, uh, you know, many of us listening to this, we have seen those motors that are covered in dust and dirt and hot environments where sensors just don't last, right? And the second part is when you get back to the motor control center, you know, the, the electrical buckets that are controlling these pieces of equipment is traditionally in a better environment, right? You get out of ATEX or, or hazardous locations, right? So you don't have to worry about explosion-proof, intrinsically safe, and all that kind of stuff, right? So bringing yes. the sensing technology away from the asset has tremendous value. And then when you get into, you know, the, the electrical signal, you know, I, I've always said, you know, things like VFDs, uh, in terms of the AI space is one of the most untapped resources, just a wealth of data with the, with the belief. And I've always had this belief that, you know, the, the specifically the current, you know, if I look at Ohm's law, assuming voltage stays um, consistent, and that's probably why you're measuring voltage, you know, the current in, in the way I thought about it now, I might be simplifying this too much is, you know, if you have, um, you know, a motor spinning with the bearing and that bearing starts to have issues with it. Now I don't care what the issues is, it's going to start drawing more current, but of course that's relational or proportional to the amount of voltage and things like that. But if you can be able to map or figure out, and I guess why you're using the ML or AI technology to notice that there is a slight difference in that signature, then you can start to be able to detect that something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, and I think one of... Sorry, go ahead, Simon. Yeah, but I was, I was wanting to add there that one of the benefits uh, of the signal that we process, it, it, it will also give you things like torque and speed. So it's not just the vibrations that lead to those wrinkles and the amount of uh, power it draws, but you can also provide context as to the load and speed at the time of measurement, which also right. has a big influence on the pattern. So there's, 
there's a bit more to it, and, and, and that makes it quite interesting. We're, and, and in fact, we're exploring more and more how we can derive more value from that data. Right. Now, with this type of data, can you get to identifying the specific faults? So can you map what that wrinkle in that waveform looks like and, and start to further diagnose where the fault is coming from, whether it's electrical, whether it's mechanical? And once you separate those two, can you further define you know, what is actually causing that fault? Is it a bearing? Is it a shaft? Is it anything on the drivetrain? Absolutely, but not in all cases. Some of these patterns look very much alike if they are sort of similar type of things. Right. But by and large, the uh, um, uh, a bearing failure will leave a different fingerprint of failure in that data than cavitation or then, um, you know, soft food and those kind of things. So the way we approach it is, uh, first of all, we, we perform anomaly detection. So we look at the data and we look at patterns that start to deviate that we cannot explain by changes in load and speed and similar, so by process changes. Then if we have an anomalous pattern, we use classification algorithms to look at the specifics. Is this cavitation? Is it something else? What is it? And in those cases where we find an anomaly but cannot classify it automatically, that's when our maintenance engineering team will work with our data science team and in some cases the client to make sure that we uh, understand why these patterns are emerging. So we'll know it is physical in nature, it is on the driven equipment, but dear client, once you've inspected and you've learned what it is, please tell us so we can teach the algorithms to recognize it the next time around. Right, that continuous learning, right? And I think that's, you know, I guess if we, if we summarize that, so what you're doing first is you're looking at these, these signatures, you're looking for those wrinkles, you're saying, hey, there's something abnormal. And I've always, I've always said, and specifically, you know, this, this technology you have could not exist without, um, you know, the enhancements or what's happening with machine learning and artificial intelligence. So the first thing is detect, hey, there's something different. And even that step alone, and I would challenge anybody that disagrees here, just the, the, that step alone of knowing that something is wrong is a tremendous value to an organization. Because right now, typically, you don't know anything's wrong until it's too late. So even if you were to stop there, right, is, hey, there's something going on, right? And then I imagine you could use, you know, supplemental technology at that point to go help further diagnose it. But then what you're starting to do is take those anomalies, go through, you're really taking the unsupervised learning of anomaly detection, and then you're combining that with the classification algorithms to start to say, hey, this is very similar or starts to look like this type of defect. And you're constantly building that library up so that you can you detect more and more things. Yeah. Oh, that's a fair statement. And, and by the way, I agree with you that the, the fact or knowing that something is going on as opposed to it's all healthy is incredibly valuable because what you see now in the field, even, you know, the whole notion of preventive maintenance is based on performing maintenance too soon in order not to be too late. And you could say the same for, uh, for sort of manual inspections. We, we inspect assets knowing that nine out of the 10 times we're perfectly fine. But then if you look, for instance, to the Dutch uh, market space, we have about 150 uh, level two and upwards uh, certified vibration specialists. And we have, you know, certainly over 4 million motors. So 
if you can enable them to focus their attention on those assets that actually need attention because there is something going on there that you want to know about or likely that you know about you can you can you know you can increase the sort of the monitored assets per professional which is a metric i'd like to uh <laughs> i love it yeah that, that's a great one right and essentially yeah. you're, you're putting these highly trained highly skilled resources on assets that need it you're not wasting your time um yeah trying to collect data on something that's perfectly healthy right yeah, making better absolutely. use of their time right really what we would yeah. call in the maintenance reliability field decreasing the wrench time of of yeah. that person right yeah. so I, so I, I have to ask simon as we go into this and i'm sure you know even when you founded this company back in 2015 and uh you know just for me being on the technical side and and obviously in the startup community you know i've seeing it go from C to series A to series B funding. And, you know, our listeners might not, you know, know what the funding means in terms of, of, of a startup company, but essentially at series B, you've gone past the initial ideas phase. You're starting to have growth within your organization, growth within customer base. So it truly means that you have a good solution um, and you're continuing to innovate. So I can only imagine as you started this company in, in 2015, it is no secret that vibration is the big dog in this space, right? You have, you know, the large organizations, um, you know, the fortune 500 companies that have invested in vibration monitoring. And I think you probably know which ones I'm talking about. Um, and I'm just, I'm not saying you're going up against them, but you're challenging, you know, a different way to look at vibration. So in, in your mind, how do you, how is this technology different? And I know you kind of went over the, the fundamentals of it's in the cabinet and things like that but how is this technology different from uh vibration analysis well you know next to the fact that you you sort of enable monitoring assets that are otherwise inaccessible to monitoring technologies i think what we see across the board is that uh, you know this this notion of uh, digital transformation also in the maintenance domain right i mean uh, just, just and, and just to give you a bit of background on how how I look at this, so um, you know we're active on the intersection of maintenance and technology. So I look sort of towards trends, and that's how we started with this, I suppose. You know, so um, there's a couple of drivers that I see for maintenance in innovation, and and I, by the way, Blair, I'll get to your question. But, yeah, of course. You know, I see I see that downtime is becoming more and more expensive. And one of the reasons, for instance, that production processes and supply chains are much more integrated systems than, let's say, 20 years ago, uh, which also means that there are no more isolated incidents, right? So if your pump fails, you will probably have a, an issue upstream and downstream, which is typically more expensive. And what you also see, I believe, is that the skills gap is widening, mm. right? Uh, I mean... In, in Netherlands, about one in three, one in four maintenance technicians will retire in the next five, five years. And because young people nowadays, they want to learn how to code an iPhone app. And the obvious problem there is that iPhone apps don't fix broken pumps. So I think that what, what we're seeing is that we have more expensive downtime. We have a, an increasing a skills gap, an increasing shortage in in uh, in the um, in, in maintenance engineering or the availability of resources if you will for lack of a better word because i don't view people as resources but there you have it mm -hmm. now i think what technology this all is driving this digital transformation this this 
building of platforms that ingest data, of tools that use data to help people to work better, safer, and smarter. And I think from that perspective, what this technology has to offer potentially over uh, vibration. Um, and again, I view it as a toolbox. I'm not saying we're going to replace vibration because you know we've had that throw at our feet every once in a while. I don't think so. But what it definitely has to offer that is becoming more relevant than in the past is that things like running hours, start stops, torque, speed, you know, performance and energy metrics from the components, meaning the pieces of rotating equipment that together make up machines, production lines, and entire factories is becoming much more valuable. Because when you couple that performance information with information from your APM system, with data from your CMMS, with potentially with SAP, and you combine it with domain expertise from the people that work with those machines day after day, then I think you start to see how, how you can really create value. You can create more throughput by leveraging both the fact that sensors are becoming much more cheaper, the data communication is much more robust, and that you have more powerful algorithms, but you have to acknowledge, and that's the point I'd like to make, that ultimately it is not about the technology per se, it really is about how we can use technology to bring out the best in people. To, again, to help us to work better, safer, and smarter. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I like how you put that, better, safer, and smarter. Um, and, and I think and that, that seems to be a trend on this podcast, specifically people that understand technology and realize the fact that, you know, the human factor is the biggest factor in the adoption of technology and how you, how you merge those two together. That's when you have a, a true solution to really disrupt the space, right? Yeah, and, and maybe to, to add to that is that uh, I, what, what I find a, a, an interesting example is uh, when you compare uh, Tesla to Toyota. Um, and, and by the way, this is in no means to be negative about Tesla because mm -hmm. I think they're a great company and they do wonderful work. You know, they built up a whole new industry, electric cars. They have, yeah. And by the way, we, we, are, we are trying to get Elon on the show, but he has yet to uh, get back to us. <laughs> well, I tried reaching him, but uh, he didn't pick up. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess maybe after hearing this podcast, he'll call us both, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the point I was making is that in 2017, Tesla wanted to build a lights out factory, which essentially means that they wanted to build a factory where sort of most, if not all, human skills were replaced with technology. Mm -hmm. And they had to. They had to, um, about a year later, they had to completely rewrite the script for that factory, completely uh, sort of track back on that notion of lights out factory. And they had to be more like Toyota. And the difference between the two is that Tesla at that moment wanted to use technology to replace human skills. And Toyota has always adopted technology from the, from the frame of we want to use technology that, again, that helps our people to excel. So I think that's an interesting, interesting notion. And, uh, and again, I mean, innovation, I applaud innovation, even the fact that you're trying to build something that's never been done before, building an electric car without human intervention. 
but it's also to some extent comforting to know that the best business outcomes comes not from replacing humans, but by giving them tools to work better, safer, and smarter. I love it, Simon. What a great story to say. And I do remember that back in 2017, seeing um, the headlines about, you know, um, Elon investing too much and relying too much on automation. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it was always interesting to see that as a tech guy is specifically in, in automation, you know, to see that and see someone try to, and I, I didn't, I never heard that time, the term before lights out uh, manufacturing, which makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, so it's interesting to see even the companies like Tesla, Tesla can invest too much in technology and not rely on the people. And obviously that outcome and comparing it to Toyota, I think it's brilliant. So thank you for that. Um, so, I guess we'll get back to, to, to your technology. It's called SAM4. Is that correct? Is that the, the yeah. hardware piece of it? No, it, it Entire it's, solutions. It's, it's for, the, for the solution, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, if you just walk me through what a typical, you know, project would look like, you're, you're installing some sort of equipment into the, into the electrical panel that's controlling the AC motors or rotating assets. Right. So I'm yeah. assuming you're putting some current transformers or something like that on, on, on the lead wires and you're measuring vibration or sorry, you're measuring uh, voltage and bringing that back to some kind of edge processing device. Yeah. 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 But, but prior to that, I think, and, and I'm sure you, you, you've noticed this, this as well is that we spent quite a bit of time before we engage to make sure with our clients that we can deliver on our promise. So we have developed a process where what we call a, uh, a technical assessment where we look at a machine, at the drivetrain, how it's being used before we agree to monitor that machine. And that might, might sound like a bit of overkill, certainly because in most situations it will work just fine. But what I found is that if you introduce a, a new technology that's based on new principles, you always have to work a little bit harder to prove yourself. And if you miss only one failure, that is can be perceived as, as a reflection of the value of the technology. So our, our process is fairly straightforward. We have the technical assessment. We ensure that we have a installation plan in place. Um, we work with either the client or a contractor to install it. Once installed, we start measuring current and voltage. It takes about two to six weeks to tune the algorithms. So we will detect failures from the start, but it gets better with about two to six weeks, basically when we've seen all of the process variations reflected in the data. And then uh, pretty straightforward, continuous monitoring, real-time energy, uh, power statistics or, or metrics. And when we detect a failure, we will send an email to a client if it's not urgent, if it's two months out or so, if it's more urgent, we'll give them a call. And we will update the dashboard with uh, both the failure that we've observed, uh, the failure mechanism that's involved, as well as our advice for uh, mitigating actions. Fantastic. So um, I like that honesty in there. So, you know, about two to six weeks to train the AI. So at that point, it, it, or, or fine tune that AI. So at that point, you're learning all the behaviors, all the different impacts of the, the the process, the operating context of that piece of equipment. Because obviously, you know, if, if you're in, um, you know, running different types of, of, of processes, the motor's going to speed up different types of loads to some types of torque. So you want to capture what is essentially normal across 
all operating context of, of that piece of equipment, right? Yeah, you could say that if, if you measure with a very high frequency, where they have very high resolution, it sort of enlarges very small differences. And what we found early on is that mm. even if you have two pumps from the same brand operating a, a couple of meters apart, working on the same process, there will be there will be a bit of variability in the, in the, in the patterns that we observe from pump to pump. But also, if you if you uh, for instance, one of our clients is in the beer industry. If they would start pumping yogurt through the system, that would be you know noticeable in the patterns as well. So we want to have observed both process conditions uh, for a moment before we can confidently say, all right, we understand this drivetrain through and through. So that's why all we right. say, you know, give us a couple of weeks to get acquainted, if you will, and then you're fully protected. Right. You're going to date it for a little bit and then that goes steady. Yeah. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, what I took away from that and because I've awesome often believed, you know, in, in the world of, of, of data, which which we are right. It's really, it's really about the data is not all data is equal. Right. And, and there's a misconception of, of what in, in our industry called machine to machine learning. Now we can learn from other machines with similar assets, but that's that's what I say, because obviously I'm in the, the bearing lubrication space is you know, you can have the exact same bearings, but were they installed the correct way? Were they actually um, maintained the same way? Were they manufactured the same way? And all those little nuances can really change that signature, if you will, of what is normal. Yes, they're exactly the same pumps and motors, but they're different in a lot of other ways. Blair, I mean, you have experience in the ultrasound world, right? Which is even, you know, even more precise in, in some, in some cases. Could, would you say that you could you could almost see if the installation guy had a hangover uh, between days sure. where he, he would rest? Does, does that make sense? Of course, absolutely, absolutely. And we see that all the time because we're with ultrasound, we're, we're based off baselines of what is the normal, you know, I'll say a bearing of friction. Yeah. And, and that can that can change, right? And, 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 and as I said, like we will see new equipment come from a manufacturer, right? Brand new equipment. We think about bearing how do you pack the bearing do the person pack it by hand you know when you put a little grease in your hand you smack it into the the rolling elements so how do you control the consistency of that right so even a brand new bearing similar on exact same pieces of equipment will have different signatures because they can be from different people or as you said they could be they could be hung over right so absolutely you can see the little differences and i think that's why you know i don't think that many of us expect just to put a a sensor on whether whatever type it is and, and to think it's just going to say hey start giving me results right away because if we do i think that's very naive um we obviously have to have to learn the nuances of, of that asset right and it's no different than we see in humans right um my blood pressure yeah. just naturally goes higher than other people's right <laughs> no but i think i mean to, to some extent i think as an industry we have over promised and under delivered in the yes. past there's always been this notion of, you know, give me a USB stick of data and, and with the right algorithms, it will be world peace in a matter of weeks. Right. And I think that, 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 that's simply not the case. And, 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 and I'm, you know, our, when we started, our, our first concept back in 2015, we built a company based on our assumption that there is a lot of data in the industry we wanted to monitor machines, so we said, all right, our skill is data science. Dear clients, give us your data. 
we'll provide the algorithms, we'll mm -hmm. create value, and we'll keep some of that value for ourselves. But what we found early on that there is indeed a lot of data available, but when it comes particularly to condition monitoring, you typically need high frequency, high resolution data, and stated otherwise, if the data is not made for condition monitoring purposes, it probably is not good enough to do real good condition monitoring, meaning highly accurate and enough, you know, pre-warning time so you can make take mitigating actions. And, and that's really why we said, all right, this whole thing of, or, or for our purpose, we better um, uh, create our own data. Then you have the same quality time and time again, and then you can then you can commit to certain results because you control both the raw material, the data, and the algorithms. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I think you're, you're spot on there. Um, so I think, you know, when I look at this and when I was doing some research, excuse me, um, I read the uh, success story, if you will, or use case from ArcelorMittal, right? Yeah. I think the, the world's largest metal producer. Um, and, and what caught me right away is um, there's a there's a video of actually the, the chief digital officer, um, which yep. which means, you know, this when people talk about digital transformation, you know, people are looking for solutions that end up getting up to that chief digital officer. A lot of solutions, what I call random acts of digitalization. Yes, you know, they're, they're a digital solution, but they're not feeding the overall big picture of what a chief digital officer will have set. And so the fact that you were able to get a chief digital officer, especially from a company like ArcelorMittal, tells me that this is a disruptive technology. It is a technology that you know fits into the ecosystem. And I'll tell you what I took away from this case study, and you can add your own comments to it. So the first one was, what I learned from that was, you know, ArcelorMittal was looking, as they said, they were looking for new technology, but also partner with with existing kind of big players in, in the market. Mm -hmm. Now, in this video, they didn't mention the name, but it's quite obvious. Um, what they're doing. So I think that was a, a good strategy. And what I really liked about this was, first of all, it's installed on the hot mill strip, right? And if anyone's in, in metal manufacturing, it's a continuous line. It's like molten metal coming down, <laughs> coming down these conveyors. So it's obviously very rough environment and very hot environment. So obviously the fact, and what they talked about in this video was, you know, they put, they put traditional vibration sensors on, and we're not here to, to say that vibration is bad, but it didn't matter what sensors you would probably put on there. They're going to have issues just because of the extreme environments around yeah. those pieces of equipment. Right. Absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm assuming the fact that they could install this back in the in the electrical panels was it was a great advantage to them. Absolutely. I mean most if not all of, of, of condition monitoring technologies have a, a data source, usually a sensor. They analyze that data through uh, you know, analytics, AI, or specialist, or a combination of both. And then obviously you want to present that information to the client in a way that he can effectively use it. But you need all three of those to have a working solution. So in hot strip mail, the big problem is you can't, well, you can install sensors, but not for very long close to it because they will burn. That's the fact that, you know, that's, mm -hmm. the, you know, that's simply what happens uh, if you install uh, vibration sensors or for that matter, any other sensor uh, close to the hot strip mill. 
Right. Exactly. Right. And that's just a, a nature of these, these um, environments that we, we need in order to manufacture our goods that we want to use. And I think Absolutely. the, the other takeaway was, and I, I love this quote. So um, the first three incidents predicted by Semiotic Labs SAM4 were not accepted by the maintenance team because they doubted the accuracy of the solution. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, those motors also came to failure. And once yeah. this conviction was there, every prediction and every failure was accepted by the maintenance team. And they yeah. replaced motors quite in advance. And, uh, you know, I see it in my day to day is, is that again, we just talked about this is that, you know, the human factor. Um, you know, did you see that quite a bit where people, we start to detect these, you know, these wrinkles in these signatures and people are just a little hesitant to react because, and, but we still see it with vibration to this day, right? You get a, a, a level four vibration analysis and they say, Hey, there's something wrong with this. And they, and people don't end up doing something with it. So is that typical? Yep. Do, you, do you typically see that kind of like the almost prove it to me um, factor when you're doing these type of projects? Yes. Yes. And I think that's 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 human nature, and I think it's and I know it's engineer nature. So you know, by and large, people trust themselves more than technology, and I think rightfully so. I mean, if right. you've been working around a hot strip mill for uh, for 10, 15, 20 years, and some dude comes around and says, "Here are a couple of uh, you know a bunch <laughs> yep. of waveform uh, analysis uh, sensors." that are going to tell you which one is failing, you know, it, you need to earn that trust. And, and, and again, rightfully so. Um, and and, and it, it does make our work sometimes a bit challenging because I mean, we detect a lot, but not everything, right? So there's this continual, um, uh, we challenge ourselves and we're challenged by our clients to not just detect more failures, but also to reduce uh, uh, false positives exactly. because you know false positives for some reason they always happen on Sunday, always when it's raining. <laughs> right. But but yes, I recognize it, uh, and and also to some extent, uh, and and not not at Arsenal because you know we we had we what they what I I hope they found is that. You know, we we really try to 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 offer them, and we do offer them proper service. But I think there's also this notion. I wonder if you recognize that that at some level, um, um, maintenance engineers are, you know, uh, sort of expecting that the robots will take over. I don't think it will happen. But but it, in some cases, there's also this notion of you know. Um, how the, the world of technology is changing fast. What what will it do to my job, to my role? Uh, is this something you see as well? It is, and I think that the key there is is um, is not going to no technology is going to replace a skilled maintenance technician, reliability engineer. Um, it is going to fundamentally change what they do and how they do it. Yeah, so, absolutely. Right? And, and I think that's the difference. And I think more and more the um, the importance of a high skill level. So I think where yeah. we're going to start to see automation and AI is remove the repetitive tasks, right? Um, and yeah. get that away from our daily lives, which I think is a good thing, but it means we no longer can be, um, you know, a, a very far reaching generalist. We need to end up really fine tuning and becoming those, those, those specialists. Well, you could, you could compare it 
I would say to to sort of uh, the rise of uh, Visicalc, which was the uh, predecessor of the Excel spreadsheet. Um, that when Visicalc came around, it was the first sort of automated spreadsheet program. And and at that time, there were about four hundred thousand financial clerks in the U.S. And 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 you know the the the, the prediction was in in five years or so uh, there will be not 400,000, but 40,000, something like that. Wow, yeah. When they looked again 10 years later, what actually happened was that there were over a million. And what happened is that in the old days, a financial clerk would dutifully, uh, you know, uh, 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 administer expenses or, or would, would write down the expenses, the income and so on. So basic bookkeeping. But with a tool such as Physicalc, they could start to build financial models. They become a partner of this uh, chief financial officer. So they use this technology that indeed made or automated some of the mundane, the repetitive task, and use the power of that tool to create much more value for the organization. And that's why instead of 40,000 people, there were uh, almost three times as much just 10 years later. And I think that that's sort of how, how I look at technology and obviously agree with you. It will take over some of, some of the, the more repetitive jobs. But on the other hand, you could also say that typically the last mile, if you will, that sort of that, that, that final piece of value that is probably the most uh, valuable in the entirety is a, uh, is a human skill. And I think in that sense, it makes a lot of sense to, 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 to learn how to work with technology, to use these tools to create more value, the same way the bookkeepers did with Visicalc. Right. I, I love that statement. The last mile is a human skill. That's <laughs> a, that, that is something I'm going to take with me for sure. Um, I'm going to credit it as my own. No, I'm just kidding, but that, that's, that's brilliant. Um, Obviously. <laughs> so... I'm just thinking in my head as I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this notes, um, you know, so you're taking this electrical data from this piece of equipment now, and, and, you know, you're, you're based uh, over, over in, in Europe, you're in the Netherlands, but I can't speak, but over here, we have a big initiative around energy conservation. I can only assume that this data, and we're talking about detecting faults, but it could also be used to help, you know, conserve energy, help finding optimal, process conditions for, for when energy optimization is ideal and things like that. Do you get into, into that space of going just not from predicting a fault, but also using that data to help with, with energy conservation? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, we're working uh, with Volpak and Nubi on, on a project to do exactly that, which is to, 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 to use the electrical waveforms to both um, provide insights into energy efficiency opportunities. Uh, cons for, consider, for instance, a, a motor that runs, you know, 24 seven, 12 months a year at 30% of capacity. Mm -hmm. You might want to change that for something that's a little bit better fit for their jobs. Because when, as soon as they get below 40, 45, 40%, they start to become very inefficient in turning electrical energy into mechanical ones. So that's an example. And I think another one is that uh, specifically for centrifugal pumps, if you give us the pump curve, then we can use the fact that we know active power, 
that we can calculate uh, the speed of the of the impeller and the affinity laws to give you a, a highly exact uh, uh, work point of that path relative to its best efficiency point. So if you have some freedom in how you operate that pump, you can say, all right, I'm going to increase my head a little bit to bring the pump closer to its BEP, not just saving energy, but also extending its lifetime. And, 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 and that's, I think, an interesting field is we are limited in the data that we have at our disposal. We have current and we have voltage. But what we can do to the data is that, you know, we're finding new ways to, to, to create value with it. Um, so the next project will be um, a, a fan curve, which is very similar, obviously, to the pump curve, but also with platforms such as your better first than I am, combining our data with, for instance, specialists that you work with to create right. that value. And most of it, I would, I would suggest, is it, in the field of either one of three things or, or a combination, but typically it is still around reliability. That is and remains the bread and butter of what we do. Sure. Yeah. Increasingly, we're, seeing, we're, we're, we're looking towards how can we reduce uh, energy use without, without compromised output of the system. And I think a, a, a third is, is, is looking at throughput. Uh, if you look at assets, they are typically part of a machine of a production process. So right now, we're looking uh, exclusively on a per asset basis, one asset, one analysis. And I think what we're seeing over the next couple of years is that you will see more sort of system level analysis uh, mm -hmm. of, of production machines, processes, and so on. I, I think, and I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Um, I'm very always thrilled when I hear two things from, from any, you know, any technology company or, or vendor. And it's really two things is one is looking at a system level. So how does that, and, and that's really, you know, for, for us, and I say us as, as the, the maintenance reliability community, it was, you know, really what RCM reliability centered maintenance taught us back in, in Nolan Heaps days back in the late, you know, 60s, early 70s was to look at things at a, at a system level, right? And not just focus mm -hmm. on individual component is to look at things. So zoom out at a system level, right? And, this, and the second thing I heard you say was, you know, starting to get data from other sources or interact with other platforms in order to be able to look at that from a systems level, right? Which is in our world, I'll say that's interoperability, right? The ability to exchange mm -hmm. data and more importantly, insights um around yeah. so we're, we're not siloed information absolutely good absolutely um so um simon i think this was a, a really great discussion um what i'm going to ask you to do is is i'm sure our listeners going to have a lot of questions and you know everything that i've learned is is on your website there are some great articles about you know motor current analysis for for induction motors um and things like that um how would you recommend that the listeners you know, find out more about you or, or get in touch with you if they have any questions. Um, we're online, uh, semioticlabs.com. We're quite active on LinkedIn as well. You'll find us by uh, by entering semiotic uh, space labs in the, in the search box in LinkedIn. Happy to connect. And um, we're happy to answer any questions around the technology. And I'm personally always uh, available for a chat about technology. You are, and I think, I think that's fantastic. Like we, we chatted just ahead of this podcast for 
just around general technology and it wasn't even specific to yours. So I, I do appreciate that. And I would recommend that if you just want a, a feel for technology and, and trends specifically in, in maintenance, um, Simon is a great resource for that. Blair, can I, can I share one more story before we hang up? You absolutely can. Uh, uh, even if it involves a bit of name dropping. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I welcome. So, I welcome it. Yeah. No. It, it, what I wanted to share with the listeners is that it, what what sort of motivates me and us uh, in, in technology, and and it, it started when when uh, uh, Volpex on Volpex 400th birthday. Uh, that that's a couple of years ago, 2017. They 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 celebrated their. 400th year of existence and I was invited to that party so when I entered uh, through the door I saw a lot of people that I knew from television right so right. government officials king and queen captains of industry uh, and and funny enough when I entered uh, the welcome committee obviously had to check if my uh, invitation was real and not <laughs> yeah that's what I thought they were doing right and and, and rightfully so uh, but who was also there was uh, the Secretary of the United uh, Nations, uh, Mr. Kofi Annan. And there was an opportunity to have a brief chat with him. Uh, so he asked me what I was doing there. And I said, well, I was invited. He said, no, what I mean is, what do you do? I said, explain that we use AI to, you know, to monitor machines. And he, he, he was kind enough to offer me advice. And he said, you know, um, um, technology really is only as good as its ability to improve the world around us, uh, to bring out the best in people. And his advice really was to focus on how our technology could contribute to a better world. So I think that's, you know, that's a big motivation. How can we use technology to improve the world around us? And for one thing, you know, keeping the machines running to focus on, on, on sustainability and really, again, to help people to work better, safer, and smarter. And that's really what, what motivates me. So I just wanted to share that. Oh, that's fantastic. I think that is a, a great way to, to end this. Um, and I'm sure everyone agrees with you and what an incredible story. All right, Simon, I, I appreciate the time. Um, I would love to have you back on again as you keep on developing um, these technologies. Um, okay, well, thank you so much, Simon. Thank you very much.